World's Finest Podcast, Episode 64. James Doe, and with me as always is Michael David Sims. Hello. How's it going, sir? It's going well. <laughs> nice with this, sir, uh, referencing uh-huh. uh, Facebook and the forums <laughs> and whatnot today. Very good. Very good. Um, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah th- things are good here. Things are good. How about you? Still crazy, busy as all hell. Yeah. Taking a step back for a second there, I mentioned uh, Facebook briefly. Um, mm-hmm. I want our listeners to know that um, I think it was yesterday, as of the time we're recording this, I actually created a fan page for World's Finest Podcast on Facebook. I don't have the direct link handy, but if you just go to Facebook and you search for World's Finest Podcast, um, you search for myself or you search for James, uh, it should come up under there. So, yeah, if you want to join our little community, go right ahead. I mean, you're not going to get anything new on there. Um, it's just going to be me posting links to the episodes and whatnot. But, you know, it'll allow you a place to communicate with the other fans. You could do that at the Earth2.net forums. But if you don't want to join the forums and you're already on Facebook, you could do it there. But, yeah, go check that out. Go check that out. There's also a fan page for Earth2.net, uh, just in general. Earth2.net, the show, uh, World's Finest Podcast, Bigger on the Inside, just everything, everything we cover. Um, and you could also find that... Um, on my profile, um, and I think you should be able to find it through the WFP fan page as well. So, yeah, give it a look. But let's get into these emails because we have to do the emails from episode sixty-three and the episodes or and the emails for this episode sixty-four. All right, first one is from Steve, who writes, "Hey guys, I just thought it would be nice if during the static recap episode." Or one of these episodes coming up, you could do a quick overview of the Static books, both at Milestone and DC. Basically, what elements of Static story from the books made it to the show, and what did the show add? Also, I wonder how much uh, comparison Smallville got from Static fans, considering uh, how both shows really overused the idea of one-off films that were affected by the same incident that created the heroes. Not saying, of course, that Smallville ripped off the concept, and really, was Static Shock that popular that (laughs) "Mm," comments could be made? But it is interesting that they both pretty much overused the same concept. Whether it was the meteor shower in Smallville or Bang Babies on Static Shock, it seemed like every other episode was a freak of the week one-off. Didn't the Smallville TV show predate the Static Shock cartoon? I have to think so. I think it did. Static premiered. Let me look this up real quick. Static premiered in 2000. And uh, let me see. September of 2000, I think it was. Yeah. And Smallville. Ooh. Might have been right around that same time. Uh, that premiered in, let's see, uh, 2001, actually. October 2001. So, pardon me there. I really thought Smallville had it beat by at least a year. But yeah, I, I think it's just a coincidence. I mean, the the villain of the week is such an easy thing to do. You know, and then once in a while, you know, you bring certain villains back, whichever one's got... Uh, you know, it had some fan appeal or whatever. 
I mean, you see that with a lot of shows. I never really watched it, but, you know, you get that with Buffy. Um, pretty much name any TV show that is in the same vein as Buffy, as Smallville, even as Static Shock, and that's what you're going to have there. You know, not every superhero has, you know, a deep, rich um, rogues gallery like Batman does, like Spider-Man does, where you can just keep dipping into that well over and over and over again and bringing those characters back and they're never going to get tired. With some characters, you just have to do the villain of the week route because it's there just isn't that well to go to. Um, what was the first part of the email? Looking at the comic books and discussing like the, the what, what elements they brought to it. You know, that's a really good idea, but I just don't see us doing that. We kind of sort of mentioned stuff that's translated from the Milestone comics yeah. here and there. And like today, we're going to have a character who is based off of a, a Milestone character, I believe, oh. uh, in one of the episodes we're talking about. So, yeah, we'll have, you know, we've had little things like that, but not just going through the books, you know, deeply or anything. Yeah, for, for the sake of WFP, that's just not going to happen there. There's there's just no time to sneak it in. I mean, had we been doing something like that all along, where we look at, you know, the Bat, Batman comics that inspired certain episodes of BTAS, and we did it with Superman and Teen Titans and Justice League, then it would make sense. But just to break in and do that with Static, it would totally go against what we've been doing for these past 63 episodes now. Alright, next one is from Cool B, who writes, Hi guys, I finally caught up with all the WFP episodes and had some comments. First of all, you guys do a great job. I don't always agree with your viewpoints, but I can pretty much always see how you got there and why you think you do. Or what you do, I should say. Uh, in Return of the Joker, Terry is able to beat the Joker on his own, and yet, as you pointed out before, he was never able to take down Ink. Kind of weird. Also, in the flashback scene where Tim kills the Joker, do you think it was only a messed up Tim, or was the microchip already activated? If so, would that mean the Joker killed himself? I'm, no, I'm, it was Tim struggling against the the, the, the brainwashing. The, the, the serums and all that shit. Yeah, it was Tim Drake coming through, and that little sliver coming through, and just doing what the Joker had trained him to do. So it's one of those things where Tim was strong enough to break the brainwashing, but the brainwashing is still ultimately what led to the Joker's death because Tim normally wouldn't have done that. Right. But because the Joker trained him to do that, Tim was able to do that. It's 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 really messed up if you think about it. Mm-hmm. And in the Zeta Project, one could say Bucky is the anti-she who now shall not be named. <laughs> you started out hating him, but he grew on you at the end, which is the exact opposite of... Hmm. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Yeah, I think in the email he actually wrote redacted, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. Um, getting, nice. Yeah, that, yeah. But uh, getting back to uh, the thing about the Joker and Ink, you know, the Joker, at the end of the day, it's, it's usually his ego that will bring him down, his need to talk. Um, that's what often allows Batman to get that punch in to uh, have those extra few seconds to get out of the trap. You know, when I say Batman, that goes for both Bruce and Terry. You know, and also remember, he's flesh and bone. Uh, you hit him hard enough, he's going to go down. Ink, not so much. You know, you you throw a batarang at her, it goes through her. Remember, she's pretty much, you know, the Clayface of the future. You know, and Clayface is a very, very difficult foe to fight. And Ink is... 
she seemed a little more cunning than Clayface was. So that made her so much worse uh, in terms of being a villain than Clayface was, at least in my opinion. I agree. All right. Uh, next one is from Will, who writes, Ahoy hoy, listen to the last episode a little late. So late responding, but oh well. In response to the question about static in Africa connecting on a personal level, I personally can't speak for any of the Afri- uh, African-American readers, but growing up Native American, any time I saw a Native American superhero, it was usually nice to see someone like me or on the telly or in comics. I loved the original Super Friends because of Apache Chief and consequently Long Shadow in JLU. And the same thing went for Forge when I read X-Factor as a kid. Also, Batman can throw a battering in space because he's Batman. He can summon thunder on werewolves. Of course he can break the laws of physics by throwing a batarang in space. <laughs> nice. Yes. <laughs> okay, next one is from Thomas DJ, who host, uh, hosts Better in the Dark and DJ Comics Cavalcade, podcasts on Earth2.net, who writes, Hey, Mike, just um, weathering the storm that is Rantacane Mike on the latest <laughs> World's Finest podcast, and wondered if... You, uh, and you wondered if the DCU Toy Man was a, a pederast prior to the re- appearance of the DCAU Toy Man in Toys in the Hood. Well, I can definitely say that this is the case. Sometime in the mid-90s, then-Superman guru Dan Jur- uh, is it Jurgens? Dan Jurgens, yeah. Dan Jurgens made it a project to upgrade some of the minor super baddies. Thus, we had an issue of Superman where Mortimer Toynbee got his ass all bent out of shape by a Toy Man action figure not selling and started dressing in all black, kidnapping children, and, well, it was kind of implied touching them in a misguided attempt to show show them his love, quote-unquote. That story resulted in Toy Man killing, and it was implied molesting Catherine Grant's son, and the world of soups was darker for it. Granted, the DCU Toy Man is, for all extents and purposes, a Batman villain, which is why we got a revamped Toy Man dubbed Japanese Toy Man when Jeff Loeb took over for... Uh, from Jurgens many years later, and was out of place in Superman comics. But the DCU Toy Man was a pedophile before the animated Toy Man uh, was made out to be a pervert. Hope this helps. Yeah, there was something in the back of my head that was telling me that it happened in the comics, because I could swear I remember at one time owning a Superman comic. It would have been post-Superman's death, because he had the mullet. But it was, it was a black cover where Soups is on his knees crying and he's holding a young boy in his arms. And you get the image, or from the image, you get the idea that the boy is dead. And I could swear hovering in the background is like this creepy face that is supposed to be Toy Man's. And I don't remember if I read the comic or what, but I know I owned it. And uh, from the cover, I did always get the idea that, you know, if it was Toy Man that was in the issue... Um, that he not only killed him, but he did get a little uh, touchy-feely with him. So, yeah, thanks, Tom. All right, next one's from Glade, who writes, Hey, Mike and James, I too have seen the episode Toys in the Hood. Thank God I don't remember all of it. (laughs) And I used to own Superman Doomsday. When you called out for listeners to find out about Toy Man and his, shall we say, motives, ahem, I looked it up and found that he actually hates children due due to modern interpretations of his character. He has been modified to represent something a little different. Oh, and James, in your Superman Doomsday rant, be it written or not, you failed to mention the most humorous or the most sad scene dealing with Lex and Superclone. I'll quote it and see if you can guess what I noticed purely by accident. Who's your daddy? Hmm. My girlfriend and I had a long discussion about this, and there's no way to disprove our theory about our dear Mr. Luthor's interpretation in this scene. (laughs) P.S. When I say sad, I mean sad and, like, corny and (laughs) WTF. 
Uh, next one is from an unnamed listener, but that's fine anyway. Uh, hey guys, I love listening to your show. I was wondering who are some of your favorite DC Comics characters that never appeared in the DCAU? Okay, we should we should answer this one right away. Uh, yeah. James, what about you? Oh, you go first, please. Oh, um, okay. Now, when I say never, some of these characters I'm going to rattle off may have had cameos, and pardon me if they did, and I'm forgetting that they did. Um, Guy Gardner is at the top of that list. Um, yep. I'm I'm not sure if he ever appeared in like a crowd scene of the Lanterns. If he did, I, I'm 99% sure he never had a speaking role. Um, Aztec. Now, I know Aztec did have a couple of cameos, um, but I don't think he ever had any speaking roles. Uh, would have liked to have seen him. Let's see. There's no way to have really worked him in, but I would have liked it if uh, Tommy Monahan, uh, Hitman, appeared. I think he was referenced once, and I think I remember reading somewhere that you kind of see him, sort of, kind of, once as well. Um, shoot. Uh, Crazy Quilt? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just because I love the fucking design. Um Let's see, shit. You know, I, I'm definitely more of a Marvel guy, so it's really hard for me to come up with DC characters off the top of my head. I would have liked it if... Okay, James, when they did the f episode where the Justice League traveled back in time... When I say the Justice League, I mean uh, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, and Batman. That's um, a future thing. Right. Now, they went to World War II... And Vandal Savage had changed it because the Nazis had uh, sci-fi tech. Uh, well, that was a savage time. This, okay. That was, that was where everybody but Batman went back in time. Okay, okay, that's the one I'm thinking of. Um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, Batman wasn't there? Really? No, he never. He was uh, left back in the present, but a a alternate version of him appears in the back in the World War II time. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but we end up meeting Sergeant Rock, if I remember, but I don't recall if we ever saw the Unknown Soldier, and I would have liked to have seen him pop up, because um, I, I, I think he just has the coolest design. I mean, it's a soldier with bandages on his face, and the whole thing is that he can disguise himself as anybody, because um, he's, he's this great spy. Um, so him, just for... The design alone. Um, James, why don't you write off a few while I try to think of some more? I'll tell you the truth. I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. Now, this could be because I haven't read comics, you know, greatly in some yeah. quite some time. I guess the only one I can really think of is Lady Shiva. Okay, yeah. Uh, just because I think it would have been awesome if she had been thrown in there to have some fights with Batman. Yeah, um... You brought her up, and that reminded me of the Cassandra Kane Batgirl. Oh, yes. I know she supposedly... There's a scene in one of the time travel episodes. It might have been um, the one I was just... I don't know. There, there's one. I think it's the one I was just referencing, where there's these two young kids that run across the screen, and it's supposedly supposed to be... Um, a young uh, Tim Drake. Is it Tim Drake? Yeah. And Cassandra. Um, but they're never called by name, so you just kind of have to assume. But she has a great design, and her character is so cool because when she debuted, she couldn't talk. And the reason for this was because her father 
who was an assassin, he purposely never trained her or taught her how to speak. So this way, the language portion of her brain was used to read and interpret body language and thus literally read people like a book and know exactly how they're going to fight. So before they even throw a punch, she's won the fight because she knows exactly what's going to happen. And then later on, she learns speech and, you know, her fighting skills are lessened, but she's still this great, great fighter. Um, I don't know what they could have done with her, but I would have liked to have seen her pop up at least one or two times. And they're in Oracle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because they could have... Barbara Gordon as Oracle. Yeah, because they definitely could have done the whole killing joke storyline, even without crippling Barbara, if they deemed that to be too dark. Um, They could have done it where Barbara just decided, you know what, this lifestyle just isn't for her anymore. And they could have tied it into Return of the Joker after Tim got the boot because of what happened to him. And she pretty much got, you know, she she got the boot too. She could have been Oracle for a little while and then actually went into law enforcement. And then she becomes the Commissioner Gordon of Batman Beyond. But like I said, she's never wheelchair bound because of it. But yeah, she could have ended up training this other Batgirl and it causes this wedge between her and Bruce. I mean, this is this whole other cartoon we're plotting right now. You know, it, it fills in the gaps between the end of Justice League and the you know beginning of Batman Beyond. <laughs> so if uh, DC Comics needs anybody to, uh, you know, make a new comic or comic book related series for them that would tie back into the original DCAU, you know who to call. <laughs> um, if there's any more characters that... Um, James and I think of, we'll make sure to, to post them over at the forums. Um, cause I know, I know some will pop into my head. You know what? I'm going to throw one more in here. I don't know Dick all about the character, but I've always thought he had a cool design and that's this guy called Wave Rider. Um, he's a time traveler or something. Um, did Firestorm ever pop up in the, uh, DCAU? Um, I want to say he had cameos in the, uh, the apocalypse kind of episodes, but uh-huh. I don't remember. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm 99% sure he had little, you know, unspoken cameos. Okay. Cause he's another one that I think just has a bitchin, totally bitchin design. Um, so I would like to have seen more done with him too. All right. Uh, getting back into the email here. Um, also I was watching the teen Titans season four finale, the end, and an interesting yet very dark thought just occurred to me. If Raven is the portal that allows Trigon to enter our world, then wouldn't that mean killing Raven would have made that impossible? I understand that it is supposed to be a kid's show, but if that logic is accurate, then wouldn't it have been more powerful if at the end of part one, right before Raven walks up the staircase uh, to recite the incantation, she actually begged the Titans to kill her? I don't mean to depress anyone with this, and I know I know that the Titans would have refused, but I also think that if this same story were told in a comic book, that would be something that they would uh, work into the story. Oh, well, it's not as though the episode wasn't powerful the way it was already. Keep up the great work on the podcast, guys. And from one animation fan to another, go watch all 61 episodes of Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> the series is epic, and the four-part finale was nothing short of genius. Amen, uh, it, it seems inevitable that there's going to be an Avatar podcast on Earth2.net, doesn't it? Oh, uh, there will be at some point. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just saying no for now. That's all I'm saying is no for now. I'm, I'm not opposed to the idea in general. Just the timing is not right for me. Um, and not that I have to be the host. I just mean for me to be publishing that. Anyways, anyways, and, and uh, you know, well, Avatar is this whole other topic. Um, in regards to the Raven thing, I don't remember how it plays out, but she dies when Trigon comes through. That's why she's reborn. 
I mean, Raven literally is dead. So I, I have to wonder if killing her, if the Titans, if she did ask, and the Titans said, okay, we have to do this. We have to sacrifice one of our closest friends to save the world. If they actually did go through with it, if Trigon just would have been able to come through anyways. I, but I don't remember exactly what happened when she became the portal for Trigon. Is there, did she have to be standing exactly where she was standing? Um, did a certain spell have to be read? I don't remember any of that. I remember a lot of that, that episode, or that story, I should say, but I don't remember that exact moment. So it would have been a powerful scene, but I just ultimately think it would have resulted in Trigon coming through anyways. I think this is so awesome that this email came now because I've put all my previous uh, music video projects on the back burner now because I've started on a new one, with which is based around Raven and ah, Teen Titans. Cool. And I thought that was so cool that this email happened right when I'm about to start that uh, new project. <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be a very dark video. It's not going to be lighthearted at all, like the like Titans tends to be in a lot of places. But yeah, so it, it's going to you can basically be be assured that most of the end will appear in the video. Awesome. Very cool. So that was that was really neat. Great. Thanks for the email. <laughs> Alrighty. Next one is from David, who writes, uh, listening to World's Finest episode, uh, World's Finest Podcast, episode 63. Man, your rant about Superman X-Raying three kids, totally <laughs> over the top. I'm occasionally surprised by your impressively puritanical worldviews, man. <laughs> okay, whoa, whoa, wait, wait. Hang on. I have to jump in here. I have to jump in here. Oh, my. Um, I have rants. I have them often. Um... I know on the show I have expressed moral outrage at things, um, especially in episode 63. I will not deny that at all. Uh, and I'll have a little more to say about that after James finishes the email. But I, I have to address this. Uh, what was the wording again? My puritanical world Impressively puritanical worldviews. David, I really want you to write back in and tell me what, and I, I'm not saying this confrontationally. I'm, I'm asking honestly for you to write in and tell me what else I've said that would even suggest I have a puritanical worldview. Um, because I don't at all. So unless I'm, my definition of puritanical worldview is, uh, misinformed. Yeah, I, I really don't think I do. But again, I'm not saying this confrontationally. I really want you to write in and let's start a dialogue. I can't, you know, confirm that these emails are going to be read on the air, but you know, just you and me, let's have a, let's have a, you know, back and forth through email. I totally believe that it was a shithouse episode, but your hissy fit over Superman using his power was ridiculous. Of course he can x-ray internally only. He does it all the time. It was purely your own reading of the image that made it unsavory. I'm just bemused by your odd double standards of adult content in a cartoon. At times you applaud the episode for being game enough to include adult themes, and then sometimes you go apeshit over stuff that is comparatively tame. It makes for amusing listening, but it's kind of jarring at times. At any rate, keep them coming. Still love the shows. I'm a very complex man. Um, no. Okay, to the last point that you just said there, there's a big difference between including mature themes, such as uh, suicide, such as death, and then producing an episode that Superman's X-raying the teenagers aside, okay? Producing an episode that is all about 
a man that's at least in his late 30s, I got to say 40s, creating a sex bot that wants to be a teenager so he can still have sex with it. That's not being mature. That's being disgusting. So it's kind of apples and oranges what you're comparing there, at least in my opinion. Okay, now, in regards to my rant about Superman X-Raying Static and the Daisies. Over at the Earth2.net forums, despite the fact that I said I didn't want to have any debate about the topic, y'all still went to the forums and decided there was going to be a debate about the topic. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I eventually admitted that I probably on any other day would have overlooked Superman X, you know, giving them a full body X-ray that because it was in an episode that featured some very disgusting themes in my mind, I probably did read into it. That's basically me saying I probably did go a little overboard there. But it was in the moment. Right, exactly. You know, and I'm still not exactly... uh, How can I put it? I'm still not exactly okay with what Superman did there. Because I I think what I said on the show, maybe I said it on the forums, was that, again, if he can go all the way down to the bone, if he can go all the way down to the DNA, in fact, his, his vision has to travel through other layers. And there's the implication that he could stop and take a peek along the way. Now, I know Superman wouldn't do that, okay? Trust me, I do. But I'm just saying the implication is there. And it was just made worse because of the episode it was in. It was also made worse by the fact that he did a full body scan when all he really needed to do was, like, look at a hand. He didn't need to scan a whole body to see a skull or something to, to see DNA, which is what he was going for there. But again, I do admit it was the wrongness of the episode that influenced my reading of the scene. But it still doesn't sit right with me. That's what I just have to say. Okay, moving on. Uh, because we need to. Yeah. Uh, next one is from Steven, who writes, Hey guys, just started listening from the beginning, and I'm loving the show so far, although I did have a few qu- uh, questions and comments. Number one, I have an explanation for Superman pulling the ship out of the black Oh god, <laughs> here we go again. The black fucking hole! No! It returns! <laughs> Superman, total douchebag. What it comes down to is that he doesn't give his all when he's on Earth. He'll fly around, do his save the world thing, but he doesn't have to go all out, all out against goofs like Livewire and Toy Man. Once he has a situation where he has to use all his strength, he does it with ease. Other points to support Superman's douchery. He lets everyone think he's dead in the late Mr. Kent. <laughs> also, Superman returns as a whole. Number two... <laughs> Number two, I remember an episode of Batman the Animated Series where some goof captures Batman and wants his cowl, thus unmasking him. The villain gets it and cackles and other generic stuff, but Vince Russo swerve, Batman has a second mask under his cowl. I can't remember for the life of me which episode it is. Can you help? Do you remember the name of that one, James? Is it the Cape and Cowl Conspiracy? Yes, I think that's it. Let me let me double check, but I, I, I do think you are right. Yep, 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 the Cape and Cowl Conspiracy. Number three, thank you for preventing me from watching Mad Love ever again. Until you came along, I never really thought about it being about domestic abuse. I thought it was just, uh, I thought it was a wacky Joker episode. Now I can't help but watch and feel awful about everything that goes on, basically taking away all the fun. Given it adds a total new level to the episode, but still. I would say don't stop yourself from watching it again just because of the themes that are in there. Just don't laugh 
as you know pretty much at all at the episode at least any of the abuse that happens to harley you know it's it's still a very powerful episode that's worth watching over and over again um it's just when you do watch it be aware of what the creators are saying in that episode and that's you know take away the clown take away harley's clown makeup take away the batman's cape and cowl and it's a very tragic story that happens every day in real life the abusive husband the wife who takes it because she thinks whatever she's in love with him she can't do any better whatever and replace batman with a cop or a social worker or uh, a really good friend of the woman that's concerned you know and it's it's an everyday very tragic real story you just have to view it that way but it's still viewable just don't laugh at it yeah and finally, watching Injustice for All, does anyone else find it funny that there's basically a garage door opener for the Watchtower? <laughs> yes, I do, actually. Yeah. Again, thanks for all the time and having to watch awful cartoons to put out podcasts. <laughs> Rich, can we go back in time and stop a crime from happening? Well, theoretically it's possible. Then what if we go back exactly five years to the night of the Dakota gang riots and prevent it from ever getting out of hand? Whoa, whoa, whoa? Are you nuts? Why not? Look... If we mess with time too much, we could change something that affects the future. We might make it so that we don't exist anymore. Please, we gotta try it. For Dakota. And for the people who lost their lives that night. Oh. Right. Hey, doesn't my opinion count for anything? Uh, sure. Of course it does. Then I say we go. I told you, I want to do good things with my powers, and this sounds as good as it gets. I? You in? But we have to be careful. This could be really dangerous. Thanks, man. First up today is Flashback. In this one, Shelley Sandoval is hosting a newscast about the infamous Dakota riots that occurred five years ago to the day. And they have built statues to the emergency workers who perished that day, and one of whom uh, was Virgil's mother, Jean, who was a victim of a stray bullet. Uh, Robert is interviewed briefly, and once they get home, Virgil sneaks out his static for some alone time and uh, Richie finds him on a clock tower uh, where he's just sitting and, you know, reminiscing. And uh, he asks him how he's doing. And Static says he's worried that he's forgetting who Gene was. But suddenly, Ebon is seen attacking a girl on the street below. So Static and Gear jump into action. And after they fend Ebon away, it's revealed that the girl is a bang baby with the, uh, the ability to travel backwards in time. They end up being thrown ten minutes into the past. And they see uh, Gear and Static still sitting on the clock tower, uh... 10 minutes, 10 minutes ago, and Gear tells them that they have to get out of there lest Ebon show up again, which he would, and they see themselves and would cause some kind of time paradox. So they go to the gas station uh, where the girl, whose name is Nina, explains that she was riding her bike along the docks when the Big Bang happened, and she gained the powers that she has now. And Richie uses one of his many gadgets to explain that uh, she can distort time and space as well as travel backwards in time. Later, Static is at his mother's statue when Richie calls and tells him to get to the park uh, ASAP. And so Ebon, who's watching Static in secret, follows after him. At the park, Richie has developed a costume and another gadget to help Nina focus her powers more. And Richie can actually control what she does with a belt that he made and a remote control. So Static asks if it's possible for them to go back five years ago to the Dakota riots and stop them from getting out of hand. And, of course, he's really doing this to prevent his mother from ever dying. But, you know, he doesn't say as much, even though Richie understands what he's doing here. And Nina agrees uh, readily because she's she really wants to do good with her powers. She, she sees Gear and Static as role models. 
And so they when they prepare to go back in time, Ebon shows up again, snatches the control away, and Static instinctively just zaps Ebon in the remote. But Richie freaks out, saying that electricity causes the remote to go haywire. And so Static and Gear end up being thrown backwards in time, right into the heart of the riots. And Nina and Time, uh, Nina, who's now being called Time Zone, uh, and Ebon are nowhere to be seen. They, but they were thrown backwards in time too. Now they start, uh, they being Static and Gear, start searching for them. And Static happens upon his mother, who is nearly crushed by a warehouse that's caving in. Well, Static saves her and takes her to a rooftop, where he reveals his identity to her. And she's taken aback by Virgil's story, of course, but. You know, she seems to be very proud of him and what he, you know, that he's a superhero and all. Uh, Jean says that she needs to get back to work, but Virgil urges her to stay on the rooftop for the night so nothing happens to her. Now, he beats around the bush, of course, but Jean gets what he's, uh, what he's meaning here and what he's saying. And she still insists that she has to do her job. She's a paramedic and people are being hurt. Uh, Gear, at this point, frantically calls Static and says he's found time zone at Alva Industries. Uh, Ebon has kidnapped her, and he nearly runs gear over with a tanker truck full of the uh, Big Bang gas as he gets out of there. So, you know, gear's like, you know, I mean, Ebon can stage his own Big Bang now, which he'll somehow be able to control. And gear takes off after Ebon, while Virgil makes his mother promise that she won't re- uh, leave the rooftop for the rest of the night. Uh, she reluctantly agrees, and Static flies off to help Gear. But after he does, Jean gets a radio call from her fellow paramedics saying they desperately need her help with some injured kids uh, on a street corner somewhere. And she kind of mulls over what to do as we go back to seeing Gear uh, chasing after the tanker. Uh, Ebon in, uh, leaps out of the tanker and starts fighting with Static while Gear stops the tanker. But the tanker ends up crashing into the gas station that Static and Gear use as a hideout in the future. So, uh, Gear rescues Time Zone uh, from the burning tanker, and Static gets the remote from Ebon. But the problem is now that they have to get that tanker away from the gas station before it blows, but the time remote is losing power, and they've already started to go back into the future. So the static, uh, the uh, situation gets even worse, uh, because Virgil, Virgil's mother shows up at the gas station to help the workers there, as Static just screams and screams uh, for her to get out of there, but it's too late. They, they're thrown back to the present time along with the tanker and Ebon. Now, Gear is, you know, really optimistic here, though. He says, you know, look, maybe she's alive after all. Maybe we did enough. So Static just flies off to his house to see if his mom is alive. But unfortunately, Time Zone takes the remote from Gear and says that her powers are far too dangerous, and she uses the remaining power in the remote to go back two years to the Big Bang to stop herself from ever going bike riding during the dock, or on the docks during the Big Bang. Um... Thus, when Virgil gets home, his mother is still dead and nothing was ever changed. Um, but Robert uh, shows up behind him and says, look, you know, she was dedicated to helping people and she couldn't be swayed away from her duty. But he also notes that the workers that night said that all, all she could say was how proud she was of Virgil and that she called him her, uh, called him her little superhero. But, you know, Robert never understood why. And he does say that if she could see Virgil today, she'd be even prouder. So the next day, Richie and Virgil are walking through the schoolyard, and Richie explains what Nina did and why she no longer has her powers, and that she's just a normal girl now with, without a care in the world. And, you know, he then kind of quips about how if you think too much into time paradoxes, <laughs> his head will explode. And that's it. I like this one, but I have two problems with it. One is that I think Virgil's mom 
isn't given enough characterization and the voice actress or the voice acting I should say is very wooden it's very stilted I never felt any okay when you hear Virgil's father speak to his kids you can feel the love he has for them even when he's angry at them you still feel the fatherly love but with the mom it never comes through at all and that's because and this gets to my other complaint it takes half the episode to get them back to the to, to the riots to get them to go back in time now i understand you have to set up how these two characters well technically four but i'm speaking of you know static and gear can go back in time. But I don't think taking 10 of the 20 minutes was the right thing to do because then you're losing all this time you could be giving to a more touching, heartfelt scene between Virgil and his mom. Yeah, they could have they could have just had them sitting on the rooftop kind of reminiscing or talking about Virgil talking about things he's done. Yeah, I, I honestly thought this was going to be a two-part episode. It probably should have. I, I really thought that. I mean, they could have done the first episode all about, you know, trying to get Nina and, you know, f- you know, they find out what her power is and the big cliffhanger is they all go back in time. And then the second episode is all about Static, Gear, Ebon, and Nina at the riots. And Virgil and Gear trying to do what they can to put out fires, literally and figuratively, and then Static having that rooftop conversation, a longer one, with his mom. To me, that just would have been the smart thing to do, because it, it, the character and the story, when I say the character, I mean the mother character, just got completely uh, shortchanged here. It really makes me mad. I really could see myself giving this easily two more points had they spent more time in the past developing the mother even and it doesn't necessarily have to be a two-parter i was just pitching an idea there but had they given her more character had more scenes with her and virgil seriously i'd be giving this another point or two but as it stands i just can't i just can't i'm sorry what about you no i I agree i I like this one but i can't fault them for a lack of effort here overall because i think they they really were trying to I, I could see that effort was put into this thing to make it really heartfelt. No, they were definitely trying to make it heartfelt. I think they did give it their all. Like I said, I just wish they had spent more time in the past, more time developing the mother. But, right. you know, with the limitations they had, half the episode in current day Dakota, half the episode in the past uh, Dakota, they did as best they could. Um, I, I just also think, and this goes back to what I said before, that they could have chosen a better voice actress to play uh, Mrs. Hawkins because there was, there was just no heart there. There was nothing at all. And uh, I think I'd be much more content with the scenes we did get if that voice actress was uh, someone else, someone a little more skilled, someone bringing a little more compassion to the role. Kind of uh, off the wall here. Instead of an uh, hero thrown into a dumpster alert. We got a dumpster <laughs> thrown into a hero alert. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's something else, though. They We have yet another credit fuck-up where they, they listed Time Zone's name as Flashback in the credits instead of Time Zone. Haha, <laughs> did they? Yeah. Now, why 
did they call the riots flashback? Shelley Sandoval says that. She goes, the riots, we in Dakota know as, the, as flashback or something like that. She, I, I, I could you. swear she said that. And I was like, what? But this episode proves that Ebon isn't exactly the brightest bulb. He might be a really good villain with a really cool power and a great design. But this idiot doesn't seem to realize that if he causes the Big Bang five years before it actually happens, that means he himself will not become Ebon. Mm-hmm. which means he won't be able to go back in time to cause the big bang that he's trying to cause. It's a big paradox. But, you know, it, 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 it's Ebon. He's a street-smart guy, not a book-smart guy like Richie. So I just thought it was a little funny, and I wish someone would have said it to him, though. I wish they would have caught up to him and been like, that would have been a great way to stop him instead of a fight. Just been like, if you cause the big bang now, you won't become Ebon. And he'd be like, oh, yeah. And then he just lets, then they just all go back to the future, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That would have been hilarious, actually. Yeah. I mean, they needed the threat of the tanker going off, and it did provide an explanation as to why the gas station is now closed, which I thought was really funny. That Um, was awesome. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. So it worked out. I understand what they're doing, but I just wish someone would have said something to Ebon, like, you're being stupid. (laughs) Something I really appreciated with this episode, though, was that when they showed the rioting, all of the rioters... You know, in the far shots, were always in silhouette. This wasn't a riot by black people. This wasn't a riot by Hispanic people or white people or whatever. This was just a riot of people. I thought that was a very great move on their part because it doesn't paint any one ethnicity as being the rioters, as being the, because, okay, if you just, if you just, if you showed everybody that was rioting being, I don't know, let's, let's, let's just say Asians, okay, then in the back of your head, it's always going to be Asians that killed Virgil's mom. But because they did it this way, it's always a faceless crowd that caused the events that led to her death. You can't blame any one group of people. And you never put it in people's heads, you know, kids' heads, that these group of people are bad or are violent because you saw them rioting. It's just people at their worst. No color, no age, no gender, just people. I, I That right there got an extra point from me. Very good catch. I honestly wasn't really paying attention to that, but that's, that's really cool. But something that pissed me off about this episode... Was, was what were they doing with Sharon in this one? The way she gets all fucking bitchy at the beginning when Virgil tries to go off to his room after... I didn't understand that at all. She, she's sitting there going, you know, okay, there's, it's, been, you know, it's been five years since uh, Mrs. Hawkins died and the riots happened. And, you know, they've just come from this unveiling of the statue and they're watching the, the newscast on TV. And Virgil's like, I, I just want to go upstairs. And she's like, nah, 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 I'm a bitch. And then when he kind of barks back at her, she's like, Humph, what's up with him? How about the fact that your mom fucking died five years ago? I really wish Pops would have turned at her and been like, get the hell out of my sight. Instead of being compassionate with the whole, we had more time with her. He barely remembers her. I really, really wish he would have been like, shut up and go apologize to your brother. And then she goes to the room and he's not there. And she's like, what the hell? I mean... That's what pissed me off most about that was Robert's reaction to it, or lack of a reaction. Yeah. I mean, I understand he's supposed to be the compassionate dad. 
you know, I, I, I get that. But in that moment, when your daughter is being totally insensitive to your young son, who has demonstrated time and time again that he can't deal with the fact that his mom is dead, no matter how much time has passed, you, you gotta look at the daughter who's picking on him and be like, shut your trap. You know, you gotta let him stop being the compassionate guy and being the firm father. So I don't care how old that character is supposed to be, because she's clearly out of high school. Sharon is. She's a college-age yeah. student, you know. Um, but, hey, she's still living there. It's it's his rules. So she's got to respect that. Menace, I know you're listening. It's me, Soul Power. Hello, old foe. And I do stress the word old. What a surprise to find you still alive, if only barely. How can you still be so young? <laughs> when I destroyed my laboratory, I secretly slipped into a hidden chamber. There, I was cryogenically frozen and preserved. Now I've reawakened in this modern time, and with these, I can finish what I started years ago. Well, I don't know why you've stolen them, but I'm not going to let you keep them. Alas, dear soul power, you just don't have the juice. How fitting that I should be the one to finally turn out your lights. Next up is Blast from the Past. In this one, Sharon and Virgil, they are volunteering at an old folks' home. And um, Virgil and one of the uh, guys, they are going through comic books, if I recall. Uh, comic books about a fellow named Soul Power. Virgil's cracking up, rolling his eyes at just the campiness of these comics. I mean, these would be comics that were coming out like in the 60s. So they're very silver agey, you know, chum and pale and those kind of things. So at one point, Virgil, while he's at this home, he's trying to leave because he's just getting bored of hearing these old people talk. And uh, he looks and he sees on the TV that some robots are attacking, like, a museum or a bank or something. So he runs off to the roof to change to static. Well, one of the old fellows that Virgil was talking to, he sees that Virgil runs off and he's like, what the hell? And he looks at the TV and he sees these robots. And you can kind of tell he's knows that Virgil's going off to go be a superhero. So uh, we cut to the roof where Vir Virgil's got his costume on, but not the mask, not yet. And uh, this old fellow who, pardon me, I can't remember his name in his civilian identity, he goes up to the roof and Virgil turns around. And he's like, uh, yeah, okay, I'm static. And he's like, yeah, well, I have something to tell you. I was soul power. And Virgil's like, what? Get out of here. You're crazy. And he's like, no. And I knew you were static from the get-go because I could feel the electrical field around you. And he starts demonstrating that he himself has electrical powers. Well, static's like, okay, well, that's all well and good, but what's this have to do with anything? And he's like, well, I want you to take me to the center of this fight. And Virgil's like, no way, man. And he's like, yes way, or I'm going to tell everybody in the world that you're static. And he's like, whatever. So um, while they're on, their, on the way there, they're, they're starting to get to know each other they're not really getting off on the right foot um and soul power reveals that the reason he wants to come along is because when he looked at the tv he recognized these robots these aren't modern contraptions these are robots that he fought during his time as a superhero in the 60s so he knows that these robots have been reactivated by his former villain by the name of professor menace <laughs> 
Oh. Deliciously 1960s. Yeah, that's awesome. That is so awesome. I mean, Virgil even makes a joke about it. He says, what was Dr. Bad Dude taken? Professor <laughs> Menace, Dr. Bad Dude, Dr. Doom. That's exactly what they were going for here. It was a complete rip on the name Dr. Doom. Professor Menace, Dr. Doom. So, as you said, it's clearly something out of the 60s. But anyways... um, when they arrive, uh, Virgil starts attacking these robots, but Soul and Soul Power is trying to tell him, "No, don't use your powers." But Virgil's not listening, of course, because he's a brash young kid. And what could this old timer teach him? Well, when he uses his power on the robot, um, the robot actually uh, absorbs the power. It's powered by uh, electrical powers. During the fight, um, this this bigger robot appears, and this television screen opens up on the chest, and it's revealed that uh, Professor Menace is still alive, and, at least according to the screen, he's still young. And uh, when Soul Power says, how can you still be young? I'm, I'm 60, 70 years old. You should be the same age as me. Professor Menace is, says, oh, that time that you thought you defeated me all those years ago, I actually jumped into a cryo chamber before the building uh, we were in exploded. And uh, the Professor Menace, he has the opportunity to kill both Static and Soul Power, but he says, no, I want you to take part in my great and final victory. Uh, so the, the robots kind of run off. At that point, uh, Virgil and Soul Power, they're, they're going around, still not getting along, uh, doing some detective work. They end up going to... Um, what do you call it? Soul Powers, basically his bat cave, and we get to see his his what was it called? The Soul Mobile. Yeah, I think so. Is that what it's called? Oh, that was awesome. But anyways, we see that, and then we end up going to meet um, Soul Powers' old sidekick, who went by the name Sparky. And throughout this whole episode, uh, Soul Power has been calling uh, Static Sparky, and it's you know at first you're meant to think that it's that he's kind of given him this derogatory nickname because he's got electrical powers. Oh, I'm going to call him Sparky. But no, he was actually kind of honoring the guy by naming him after his, his old sidekick. Or whatever. They go see the old sidekick who's now uh, doing very well for himself. He runs some sort of uh, corporation that's in charge of satellites or something. I'm not exactly sure what he did. But regardless... Um, Soul Power is appealing to his uh, former friend, saying, look, you have to give us access to these satellites so we can track down uh, Professor Menace. Uh, and the, the former sidekick says, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. He's like, you just don't have the government clearance, and you always taught me to follow the rules. I can't break the rules that you taught me to follow. Um, so Virgil and Soul Power, they leave. It turns out Soul Power actually swiped Sparky's... Um, what do you call it, ID card to get them into the labs that they need to get into. Once they get there, um, there's a fight with uh, Professor Menace. Sparky actually shows up uh, in his costume. Uh, so now we have all three of these superheroes going up against Professor Menace. And in the big final battle, um, it's Soul Power taking on Professor Menace um, and Static and Sparky. They end up using their powers to fuel Soul Power, giving him that little extra boost that allows him to take down Professor Menace once and for all. And it turns out Professor Menace is still not the young fellow that he claimed to be. It was actually a hologram projected over his face. It turns out he did age. Not only did he age, he was living in the same old folks' home that Soul Power was. We actually saw him earlier in the episode. And if you didn't catch that that guy in the beginning of the episode used to be one of Soul Power's former foes, 
Sorry, I think it was kind of obvious. That's all I'm saying. You know, I, I actually thought it was going to be the, what was his name? The Mad Haberdasher or something like that. Oh, yeah. Whoever they were talking <laughs> about, that's who I thought it was going to be. But then as the episode went on, I'm like, oh, okay, it's Professor Menace. And um, I don't know if anything really happens after that. Oh, you know, Virgil and Soul Power, they're finally getting along. They've both learned to, well, Soul Power was respecting Virgil pretty much from the get-go. But Virgil's finally learned to respect Soul Power. And then Virgil and Soul Power, they end up doing Soul Power's little victory dance at the end, and uh, that's pretty much it for this one. Thoughts? Um, I wasn't really digging this one. Yeah, yeah. And it really wasn't because the story was horrendous or anything. I just wasn't digging Brock Peters' voice acting job here. How come? And, uh, it was, I just, I can't pinpoint a like a, an adjective to use to describe it. It was just really grating, and I, I really monotone at points hmm. it was it just wasn't a good job and this guy was the voice of lucius fucking fox yeah. in btas and when he has roughly half the dialogue in this episode that's gonna bring the grade down yeah yeah that's that's my main problem with the episode i just did not think his voice acting job was very good kind of like your problem with gene's voice actor in the last episode i see what you're saying yeah yeah but, I mean, this this episode does have its moments. So there's no doubt about that. Yeah. I could destroy you now, but I'll wait. Yeah. How, how, it, that is like 1960s supervillain to a T. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he literally has them at his mercy. But he's like, ah, fuck it. I'll get you two days from now. You know, and it's like, no, you're not. You just screwed up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're, you're just a typical idiotic 19... 50s, 60s supervillain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, along those same lines, he's in the same home as Soul Power. Y you know he knows who Soul Power is. He could just beat him with his cane while Soul Power is sleeping, you know? <laughs> or at least you yep. get the idea that he knows who Soul Power is. I don't know if it's exactly said, but I'm pretty sure it's implied. You know? But instead, he has to go through this whole scheme of these robots and stealing all this equipment and changing the weather. And it's like, what? Just just <laughs> steal, his, steal his pills or overdose him or beat him up. Spike his jello. I don't know. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's meant to be in the vein, as you said, of those Silver Age comics. So you forgive it that. Yeah. Oh, and the dude's name is Dennis. And his name is Dr. Menace. Menace. Oh, that is brutal. Oh, I so did not pick up on that. That is a nice catch. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't have anything to say. I, it's just right there. His name is Dennis the Menace. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> um, one thing, though, is weird. This is the only episode of Static Shock without Richie in it. Is it, really? You're right, yeah, because even in the Africa one, he was on the phone with Static. Well, what else? What else do you have to say here? There were a couple points where I chuckled at it. I liked the, the, the slight throwback style. I liked some of the music in it, like Soul Power's music, and that's not something you hear me say often about Static. You know, I think half our listeners are grabbing their hearts right now. Um <laughs> What, Funk music. Yeah, you know, I I, I liked that that vibe that it was bringing to to the episode as a whole. But overall, I really was just kind of ho hum about the episode. I think they could have went another step or two to 
make you feel like this was a Silver Age story. In fact, had the previous episode not been a time travel one, I would have actually liked it if this one was a time travel one. But you can't do that because we got another time travel one coming up in, what, just like two episodes? The next one, yeah. So I understand why they couldn't be doing all this time travel, but I just think it would have been neat seeing Virgil and Soul Power back in Soul Power's era instead of the way they did it. But whatever, you know, I'm not, I'm not mad about the way they did it. I'm just, I'm just saying. There's kind of a plot hole here. Oh, is Um, there? What is it? How did the robots attack the museum when Dennis was in the old folks' home at the time that the attack was going on? Remote control? I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, It's never directly said that he's in the robots. No, no, no. I'm just saying they're, you know, if he, even if he sends them off, um, shit, I don't know. It just seems kind of weird. He's sitting there while this is all going on, and it's like, it, when did he activate them? Well, whatever. keep in mind that his his lair was underneath the home. So he could have activated the robots and then came upstairs to watch the TV and, you know, be entertained by the kids. Oh, I love how nobody notices that there's this huge fucking underground laboratory <laughs> right in their basement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know what I also found interesting? Mm. Is that Soul Power goes up to the roof, right? He's in his robe, but he pulls out his Soul Power mask out of his robe pocket. Does he always carry this thing with him? Did he Maybe stop he in his room to grab it before he went up there to see Virgil? I mean, when did he get his mask? <laughs> Who knows? Maybe he just he lives soul power his whole life. <laughs> um, but most of all, the thing that I was noticing with this episode was that this is another example of unless it's Gear or the Justice League, Virgil being a dick towards other superheroes. Now, I've said it before, it's one thing to be a dick towards a rookie superhero who's causing you messes that you have to clean up. But when you're being a dick to a superhero that predates you, who whose powers mirror yours, who paved the way for you to enjoy the status you have, both as a, a superhero and as a civilian, you're not going to be a dick to this guy. Be concerned for him because he's an old fellow and he could get hurt, but don't be a jerk. Again, it, it, they, they bring this element to the character, and I don't like it at all. The only other note I think I have is, was, this was another kind of humorous note. I love how when uh, they're talking about secret layers and uh, Static's like, like makes fun of Soul Power's secret layer, and Soul Power's like, well, where do you, where do you <laughs> do your stuff? And he's like, the abandoned gas station of Solitude. Yeah. <laughs> That was good. Cobra is a group of snake worshippers who want to take over the world. The police caught their leader a week ago, but Cobra's just taken a prisoner of their own. There's going to be a trade. Sounds fair to me. Fair? Negotiating with criminals? I don't see much choice. I do. We can rescue the prisoner before the exchange. We could have him back and keep their leader. Hey, you two are the team. You can handle this. I gotta find a way home. I need both of you to rescue the prisoner. Wherever Cobra's keeping him, I'm sure they're guarding him very heavily. He's one of our greatest heroes. Someone with the power to change the world. Someone who... Come on! How great can this guy be if he's stupid enough to get caught by a bunch of snake people? He's you, Virgil. 
Next up is Future Shock. In this one, the episode opens up in Gotham City, where Static is helping Batman and Robin deal with a villain named Time Code, uh, whose crimes involve breaking imprisoned criminals out and sending them to the future, of all places. The trio stops him, but when Batman starts um, messing with the machine that Time Code had, uh, he's trapped in a weird energy bubble. Well, Static manages to get him out, but in the process, he ends up getting sucked into the machine and thrown into the future, specifically the Batcave in Gotham 2049. Static notices the difference in the cave when suddenly Terry McGinnis... 2049? Is it actually said? Well, I figured that. I thought it was like 2040 or that decade or something. Okay, okay. No, just throwing the the exact year out there kind of threw me off for a second. I I thought it was... Maybe it's 2040. I can't... Okay, well, at one point it said 40 years in the future, so from wherever the episode takes place, I guess, plus 40. Anyway, uh, Terry McGinnis shows up in, in costume and attacks Static, but uh, after a few minutes, old Bruce shows up and says that the fighting is over and he needs both of them for a mission. And Bruce tells Static that he's left 40 years into the future and that he's been expecting Static's arrival for the entirety of those 40 years. So he explains that Cobra, if you'll remember them from Batman Beyond, has kidnapped... Uh, one of the greatest heroes of this era, and that they will exchange this person for Cobra's imprisoned leader. And Bruce says that they can rescue the prisoner before the exchange even happens and thus keep their leader imprisoned. Now, Static isn't too thrilled with this plan, saying that Bruce and Batman are the team and they can handle it. And Terry says, look, this guy is one of the greatest heroes in the world, and he's somebody who has the power to change the world. And Static scoffs that whoever this hero is must have been pretty dumb to have been kidnapped by a bunch of snake people. And Bruce says the hero is you, Static. (laughs) So Terry and Static fly off in the Batmobile, and Terry says that Static is there strictly for backup because he cannot let anything happen to the young Static that would cause older Static to not exist. Now, they land on a rooftop and get into their street clothes to go undercover. And because Terry explains that Bruce has a contact who can help them infiltrate Cobra. On the streets, Terry explains some things about the future, i.e. where the JLU is, where Gear is, and where Static's son is. Hmm. And after he explains uh, the whole thing about splicing and how c- the Cobra guys all look like snakes, uh, Terry goes to meet the contact while Virgil stands at a corner. And at, at this point, we get a flash to the cops moving the Cobra Commander, yes, I said it, <laughs> from from his cell to uh, begin the exchange. Well, Cobra Commander asks whom this uh, his group kidnapped to set this up, because he realizes this is a prisoner exchange right from the get-go. He says, Wonder Woman, no response. Green Lantern, no response. Then he asks, Static, which elicits the head of the police to tell him to shut up. So Cobra Commander now knows exactly who they have, and he's quite pleased. So back on the streets, Virgil tells Terry that he's found someone... Uh, in an alley who knows where Cobra is. Now, it turns out to be one of the Joker gang uh, who leads them into his hideout and gets both of them surrounded by Jokers. Um, but Virgil uh, easily fends off the entire gang one by one with his powers, and he even pulls the reverse Joy Buzzer trick that he did to the Joker several episodes ago. Um, after Virgil's finished, Terry rebukes him for sending him on a wild goose chase, uh, chase, which probably caused them to miss the contact. And Terry doesn't understand how... Uh, he could have grown up to become one of the world's greatest heroes. So we see on the Gotham Bridge a Cobra agent in disguise freeing the commander, uh, and he gets he escapes under a bridge uh, while the the spy gets arrested. Uh, we get, then go to the Gotham Airport, where uh, Cobra Commander hijacks an aircraft and flies off towards their base, and he tells them to not touch Static and leave them uh, leave him for him. 
uh, Terry at this point calls Bruce to complain about Static, and uh, he informs uh, Bruce informs him of Cobra Commander's escape. So Static flies off uh, when Bruce even Bruce can't think of what they should do next, and he goes to the gas station hideout, which is still as it always was. And when they get inside, Terry sees a retinal scanner on the wall, which is kind of strange. They figure. Uh, and Static does, obviously doesn't know what it is because they don't have a retinal scanner in the present. So Static looks into it, and the trap door opens up underneath him. And Terry follows after him, and they're they're in Gear's underground laboratory. So they find a a box kind of on the table. It looks like one of the shock boxes from the present. And there's a recorded hologram message on the table. Well, Static and Terry figure out that this message was on there as a Cobra forgery that tricked future Static into thinking he was meeting Gear at a harbor or something. It's like Platform 247 is what it was called. I guess it was at the harbor. But it ended up being a trap, and Terry says that he knows someone who can get them to Platform 247, that, of course, being Bruce, uh, where uh, Static was kidnapped. And meanwhile, Cobra Commander arrives at the base and splices himself with uh, uh, snake DNA before going in to see Static. Uh, So... Terry and present Static make their way to the hideout after Bruce gives them the info they need, and they attack the Cobra guys, and they don't really have much success, but they do manage to overcome them, uh, uh, the Cobra commander and the rest of the Cobra agents, and they free future Static from the stasis field he's in prison in, and future Static just absolutely owns the entire Cobra clan, and after future Static gives present Static some encouragement, uh, present Static is grasped back to the present with uh, the help of present-day gear. So Batman says he would rather not know about his future, and Static says Gear should lay off the fries, because apparently Gear is pretty fat in the future. <laughs> That's it. This one wasn't as exciting as I had hoped it would be. I can see what you're saying there. Yeah, by no means am I saying it was a bad or even mediocre episode. No, no, no. It's just, uh, you know, we were going back to the Batman Beyond corner of the uh, DCAU, and... Uh, I don't know. I just wanted a little more fun, a little more excitement, and uh, we didn't really get that here. Um, before I forget my next thought, though, I, I have to say this. This makes me realize that Static has touched, oh, yeah, every corner of the DCAU. He's running with Batman, so that covers BTAS and Gotham Knights. He's running to Superman and his gallery of rogues, or, or rogue. So that's Superman. He's done the Justice League once, and he'll do it again. I know he meets Green Lantern coming up. And by going to the future here, he has run into Batman Beyond and therefore Zeta. And he never meets the Titans, but at least they're referenced when Batman shows up that one time. So it's almost like Static is like the cornerstone of the DCAU after the fact. Because, of course, we always have to remember this wasn't meant to be part of the DCAU, but it become part of the D- but it became part of the DCAU. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, that, that dawned on me while I was watching it that I don't think any other series has done that. Because Justice League, yeah, it's got Batman, it's got Superman, and they go to the future, but that's not the same as a character meeting them individually, as Static has done. Moreover on that, I love that Static is apparently so great a hero in the future that Cobra Commander mentions his name after the likes of Wonder Woman and Green Lantern. Yeah, he doesn't say Batman, he doesn't say Superman, doesn't even say Warhawk. He goes to Static. That was kind of interesting. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's great character development, really, if you think about it. Yeah. One question I have, though. Batman is back in his Gotham Knights costume. What, what was he in? Oh, because I mean, the last time we saw him, he was in his uh, Justice, Justice League, League. Car- uh, costume. Yeah, you're right. I, I didn't pick up on that. Uh, it seems kind of weird. I don't. I guess this really production-wise happened right before that uh, Brainiac thing. No, I don't think oh, no. so because this is this is the start of the fourth season. Oh yeah, you're right. And design-wise, you can tell too because Static flies in in the opening not wearing his jacket. And that's not True. something we've really seen before. That was a new. There was a slight tweak they brought. Well, we've to seen the it. Before. We've seen that before. Have we? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like I, maybe once or twice, but not very many times. Okay. But uh, yeah, no, no. This this isn't like where we reviewed those episodes that were clearly second season episodes, but they're in the third season. No, this is a whole new season. I think they just screwed up. You know, they didn't for whatever reason they didn't go with the Justice League design. They went back to the old Gotham Knights design. This episode, though, at least the BTAS, not BTAS, excuse me, the Batman Beyond portion of it, uh, takes place after Return of the Joker. Yes, If you notice, because uh, when Static's asking where certain people are, Terry pauses when uh, Virgil mentions Tim, and he's like, he's a civilian now. I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's kind of interesting that they placed it there. I mean, there's a part of me that only wants there to be one episode that we've seen beyond the end of, uh, you know, because Return of the Joker, we've pretty much said that, that that's that's the end of the series of Batman Beyond. In my opinion, the only one that should follow that is then epilogue. So to have this before epilogue, but after, you know, Return of the Joker, eh, it doesn't sit quite right with me, but that's just a personal preference. It's well, nothing it's I can travel. hold. Right, it's time travel, right. But it's nothing I can hold against the episode or the series or anything. Like I said, just my personal preference, that's all. Right. Uh, speaking of Terry, I have to question his common sense in telling Static he has a son. They preach against that kind of stuff in the DCAU. The character, I mean, the characters like Batman and Green Lantern. Right. They always say you don't want to know much about your future. Yeah. And Terry tells me he has a fucking son. <laughs> now, Terry, you dumbass. <laughs> I wonder though, was the implication that the son was a superhero? Because he's rattling off where everybody is. He has to be. He has to be a superhero. Because I don't see why he would mention him in that moment unless that's the case. I think it would have been funnier if he had said grandson. Because if you think about it, Virgil is 15. They keep saying he doesn't have a driver's license yet. It's 40 years, so that means the future static is 55 years old. So it's conceivable that he could have a grandchild of young static's age. If Static has a kid when he's 20, that would make... And then the, the kid grows up to be 20, then Static is then 40 at that point. Add another 15 years, he's got a 15-year-old grandkid, he's 55. I think my math is right there. But I think it would have been better if, not said, if they didn't say son, but they said grandson. <laughs> Freak him out even more. <laughs> oh, and what's kind of weird, though, about the design here is uh, future Static's hair is completely black. And yeah. he looks he looks like he's in about his thirties or so. Yeah. But when we get to Justice League, old future static has gray dreadlocks. But that's an alternate future. Well it is, but you it's the same time period. Yeah, but because the future didn't unfold the same way, maybe he went and had a more stressful twilight years and so his hair got grey quicker. 
I can buy that. I mean, it's just a suggestion, but you're right. When he came out of the stasis field, because I had never seen this episode before, but I had seen the other episodes where he did have the gray dreads. I expected him to come out with the Dre dreads. Dre dreads? <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if you were to catch yourself saying that. Dre dreads, I meant. Whoopsie. And uh, what do you call I was the dyslexic one here. <laughs> yeah. um, so I was surprised, because you're right, it did make him look really young, but in my mind I can justify it because it's an alternate timeline in the Justice League episode. Okay, well I can buy that, I guess. Oh, and you know, I, I mentioned Batman in his Gotham Knights costume. Here's a pretty a much bigger fuck-up. The Gotham police were wearing Dakota PD uniforms. Were they? Yeah. What the fuck? Well, did it? Did you also notice that Batman and Static went to the... You said it. They went to the gas station. It almost implied that the gas station was in Gotham. Yeah. I mean, I guess Static flew a long way. Uh, but then again, like I said, I think Dakota could be Philadelphia, so, if, you know, that's... That's right there on the East Coast right. in New Jersey. I think New Jersey is where Gotham is. He could conceivably have flown there pretty quickly. Right, yeah. If, if they are supposed to be geographically close, then it makes sense. But if they're not geographically close, I, I don't know what's going on there. But, yeah, you're probably right. What I was really digging here, though, was that they didn't forget about gear. Because this was, you know, it's an, okay, it's a it's static show, so it's silly to say it's a static-centric episode. But because it is such a static-centric episode, and that static is this great hero in the future that has been abducted but needs freeing by young static, it would have been easy to forget about Gear entirely, to not mention him at all. But to show that not only is he still alive and well, but is still a superhero, oh, I loved it. I loved seeing the fact that Richie was still around. Sure, he put on a few pounds, but he's still around. He's still teaming up with Static. That was that was so cool to me. That that he just wasn't forgotten there. Absolutely. Going back to the JLU episode again, where Static shows up. You know, Richie is not there, but you can say that he didn't exist because of the time fuck ups. Right. Exactly. But speaking of time travel, something was a little weird. Static questions if his death in the future, that being the death of himself, the 15-year-old Static, would erase his old self from the future. He's like, can that really happen? He saw it with Nina in flashback. Yep. Now, granted, that was a whole other season. You know, it's not just one week to the next. We're talking a whole summer break you know, maybe you're bringing in a new audience. So, okay, I understand throwing the line in there, but a little continuity would have been nice. <laughs> Where he just sat there instead of going, can that really happen? Instead he goes, oh, yeah. Like, it dawns on him. You know, and then you get the impression that maybe he's thinking about the Nina character. Yeah. Here's another. Here's a question I have. Static can supercharge knockout gas? I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> how, do, how in the hell does that work? Yeah, yeah if there's any uh, chemists out there, can you take knockout gas, charge it up, and make it super knockout gas? With, with electricity? Yeah, let us know. You know? Um, and I loved that exchange between Batman and Static when they were in the vents, and they're looking down, and Static's like, got a plan, and Batman's like, go down there and fight real hard. And Static's like, Hey, works for me. Yeah, like that. That's a really great plan, you know, especially because they're two <laughs> young heroes. What else are they going to do? Fight real hard. Uh, as we're talking this one through, my opinion of it's slightly changing. It's getting a little better. 
Um, but as I said, I, I never hated this one. I never disliked it. It was just sort of not as good as I had wanted. This is a hideout? Honestly, you'll have to do a lot better if you're going to work for me. What? Who said anything about So what exactly do we gain by following you? We'll be one big happy family. And with me and your team, you'll be winners instead of losers. Trust me, I have a lot of ideas. You've got a lot of mouth. Yeah? Well, I can back up what I say. And I'm saying if you stick with me, you'll finally see the end of static once and for all. Any questions? Next up is she back. In this one, she back actually refers to two characters. The first one is Madeline, uh, what was her last name? Spalding? Something like yes. that? I don't know. Uh, basically, the, the the psycho broad from Attack of the Living Brain Puppets. <laughs> she's out of juvie. She's out of the hospital or whatever. Um, and she's now working in a local comic shop that uh, Richie and Virgil uh, frequent. She remembers having superpowers. She remembers there being a fight with Static. She remembers that she hates Static, but she doesn't remember that Virgil was, or I should say is, Static. Um, so she has no beef with Virgil and Richie, at least not to start. It's also revealed that she still may have her superpowers, but because of what Virgil did to her mind when he supercharged her brain and Attack of the Living Brain puppets... Uh, it, it's caused her to forget how to use her superpowers. Well, after the boys hurry out of the shop, um, she sees them laughing, and they are laughing at her. So she has a right to get, you know, pissed off at them. And while she's having this little tantrum, she uh, figures out that she has new superpowers that aren't exactly defined. She's just super. She's got some sort of super strength. She can fly. It looks like she may be able, to be able to control the weather. I don't exactly know what her powers are, but whatever they are, they're super strong, and they cause her to dress up like, for the second time it's going to be said in an episode, Crazy Quilt. quilt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and she came out like that. I was like, holy shit, that's awesome. Yep, yep, I noticed it too. I was like... Wow. Yeah. Madeline is wearing a costume that really says to the world, I have a crush on Crazy Quilt. Yeah, exactly. There's no other way to put that. So I don't remember if she tries to take out the guys right away, but whatever. She ends up teaming up with Ebon and his gang and ends up uh, taking control of the gang away from Ebon. He doesn't like it, but uh, what's he going to do? He's sort of going along with the plan. Meanwhile, Shebang, she's back in Dakota, and uh, she ends up helping the guys. Um, she, I think, she, if I remember correctly, she actually saves their lives during uh, the, the fight with uh, Madeline and Yvonne's gang. They you know, team up again throughout the course of this episode. But what, what we find out is that uh, Shebang, and I cannot remember, what is her real name? Shanice. Shanice, that's it. Uh, we find out through her that the people that were trying to capture and then use her have all been arrested by the government. So she now can come back to Dakota permanently, which, you know, you think is a great thing. But it's not, because what it means is, is that she no longer has to pretend that she's this meek, quiet girl. So she lets her true personality comes out, come out, and it's a very forceful personality. And it's it's the boys and everybody else around her, they just can't handle it. It's not that they want the meek version back. They just don't want someone who's so pushy being around. So she's struggling 
uh, with that. And the boys end up ditching her to go play superhero at one point. She figures it out, of course, because she's no dummy. Keep in mind, she is really smart. And uh, they basically break up with her at the end of one of the fights. And uh, she goes out on patrol by herself later that night. She ends up getting caught by Madeline and the gang. And it ends up uh, falling on the boys to go try to find her. And uh, there's a big final battle between the gang, uh, Madeline, and the heroes. And uh, during the fight, Madeline is hovering high above the sky, doing something to the weather. And uh, Static is down below her, and she's about to blast him with lightning or something. And uh, he sends a positive charge up some, like, stray beams and whatnot and uh, it attracts the negatively charged uh lightning bolt or maybe it's the exact opposite but whatever and uh both charges go through her frying the living fuck out of her she just lands on her face and i think she's catatonic by the end isn't she oh yeah she's out yeah she's out of it and uh the boys they tell uh shebang that you know they you know some mean things were said uh they apologize for them and uh, they are glad that she's back. They just hope that she's not as pushy in the future. Madeline's horrific costume aside, I was kind of digging this one, actually. How come? Well, for one thing, I thought the animation in this one was spectacular. That scene where Shebang is jumping through the air and they kind of do that bullet time camera spin around her, mm-hmm. that was really cool. That and where Madeline and Ebon are in each other's faces was awesome. The animation of everybody's powers was top-notch. Just really, the anim- this might be the best animation we've seen in a static episode yet. Oh, okay. I, I can't speak to that, but I did notice that it was good. Yeah. First off, I actually did feel bad for Shanice. You know, even though she was being pushy, it's I understand why she was. She's been forced to be this repressed little girl and low-key her entire life mm-hmm. to this point. And I can understand her being so hyperactive when she's now, you know, able to. Right. So I don't, you know, I don't take issue with the fact that she is acting like that because it's just, it's all coming, it's all coming out, you know? Right. She's going from one extreme to the other and she hasn't settled into the groove where she's supposed to be in the middle of those two, leaning a little more towards the pushy side, but not as pushy as she is in the episodes. Right. Right. So I, I completely understood why she was acting that way. And I, I did, I felt really bad for her when all the, all of her friends just said, no, we've decided to do this and we don't need you and static and gear just kind of kick her to the curb. And so, yeah, I did. I felt really bad for her. And the other thing I really liked about this episode was Shanice. Well, at the very end there, the whole, that whole end fight scene and the stuff that happens before it, where Shanice is just verbally toying with Yvonne. I thought that was awesome. And I thought it was awesome further how Static remarks that Madeline inadvertently helped them by taking out Ebon. He's got a point there. Ebon is just as dangerous, if not more so, than Madeline. And she's just taken out a, a number one villain that they don't have to deal with anymore. So I guess those three things were really, you know, I was digging it. Cool, cool. Yeah, you know, this this is another one where... It was good. It's it's not one of those ones that I would have on just as background noise. It's one I really could sit down and watch. I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing this one again. I just don't think I was as excited by it as you were. 
I can understand because, you know, Madeline is back and that <laughs> immediately immediately that puts you in a foul mood watching this one. Well, my second note was oh no, brain puppet girl. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of that, they used her present animation model for her flashback. That's really sloppy. Yeah. Uh, what did she look like before? Because I don't remember her looking like that before. She was well, she was younger because this happened when she was there the first time, that was the first or second season. Was it so that this long was back... ago, really? Yeah, it was the second season. Okay. Yeah, it would have been the second season, wasn't it? Yeah. So they should have had her in her younger model with the clothes that she was wearing that day on. Not not her current outfit and older-looking Madeline. That makes no sense at all. I had mentioned that Oh No, Brain Puppet Girl was my second note. My first note was when they're in the comic shop, they're, well, they're flipping through a comic, and the one they're flipping through, they're talking about the superhero, and his name's Particle Man. And it got me wondering if, of course, that was a reference to the the character that's mentioned in the They Might Be Giant song, which, of course, was used in Tiny Toons, and who worked yes. on Tiny Toons, but Paul Dini and Bruce Timm, who then, of course, went on to create the DCAU. It's, it's a roundabout way to, to, to bring it all together, but it, it had to be thrown in there on purpose, I'm thinking. And that, that is my favorite They Might Be Giant song, actually. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, but getting back to what you were saying earlier, you know, I really felt that Junkyard fight might be the best fight we've seen in Static so far. Couldn't agree more. I want to sit down and watch it again, but I was thoroughly entertained. It actually felt like a superhero brawl. You know, when you pick up comics, you see superhero brawls all the time, so you, you know the type of feeling they should have. And a lot of times, it's not captured on film or in cartoons all that well. But this one, I think, really did it. It was brutal. It was intense. You've got everybody choosing a side because, well, you obviously want the heroes. They want to win the day. You've got, uh, what's-his-face, Burnout. Um, <laughs> shit, I actually did that by accident. Um, F-Stop, or whatever the hell his name is. Um, <laughs> he's cheering for Ebon. you got Talon cheering for Madeline, I think, is the way it's going. So they've got their own sides. So yeah, you've got the villains fighting villains. You've got the heroes fighting the villains. It's It was just really cool. Or it wasn't just heroes versus villains. Everybody had their own side. Um, yeah, and then each hero chose a villain to fight. you got Shanice going up against Talon. And you got mm-hmm. Gear fighting uh, Pit Stop, F-Stop guy. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was a big highlight, actually. Yeah. It was really cool seeing Gear having to face a very powerful metahuman. Now, what I have to say, though, is... And this isn't a fault of the episode. It's a fault of the genre. I don't like seeing, oh, guess who the girl hero gets to fight? The girl villain! So Shebang has to take on Talon. Right. You know, and it's like, okay, I understand, really, you know, there are only so many they could choose from. Madeline, Talon, Ebon, and uh, Fire Guy. So the odds of her getting Talon were, were pretty good. But it's still just a girl-on-girl fight, which we see all the time. I really would have liked it if she would have gone after Ebon or the fire guy. Just just because. Just because I want to see them break away from that cliche. That That's all. But again, not being held against the episode in the slightest. Something I want to throw out there, though, and I don't know if you picked up on this, but there was this real subtle thing that seemingly implied 
that F-stop and Talon might be kind of romantic. There's a scene where she gets knocked out, and he tends to her. And if you actually look at his face, he actually looks genuinely concerned. And this is a guy that never thinks of anybody but number one. And in that moment, he is very, very worried about his, well, friend, lover, uh, ally, I don't know. I don't remember exactly what happens in the episode. It, I, it's not the junkyard fight. I think it's the fight before then. Right. But go back and look. There's, it's, it's really cool. I really think they were hinting towards something. And then they play something up later on in the episode when Madeline wins the fight. She's like, you owe me five bucks. Showing that they have a playful side. Because again, with him, you don't get to be playful because he's so, pardon the pun, hot-headed. But the fact that she gets away with that with him kind of speaks to their relationship, I think. I would have to go back and look and see that facial expression you're talking about, but I everything else, I, I yeah, I can't disagree. And, and let me say this. Ebon ends up creating a tornado or a whirlwind to suck Madeline into his portal? Since when can he do that? I don't know. I thought that was really confusing now, myself. I don't mean to contradict myself, because I'm always saying, oh, I love when Static finds new ways to use his power. So people might be going, Ebon did the same. But there's a difference. Static's power usage, at least to me, always seems like it's a natural evolution. Oh, he can now use his hands like flashlights. That makes sense. Or he's able to create like a, a, a whip or basically webbing or whatever you want to call it to wrap around a pole and swing himself to safety. Those make sense. But Ebon all of a sudden creating a whirlwind out of his portal, I, I don't get how you get from A to B to C. Because there was no B for me. For me, we went from A to Z and the rest of the alphabet was just thrown to the wind. Pardon the pun again. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, did you notice that uh, at the beginning of the episode, Virgil was reading a Soul Power comic book? Was he? No. Yeah, <laughs> in the comic book shop. That's some nice continuity. I like that. That's good. This story belongs to Kwaku Anansi, as to all stories. There was a very clever spider named Kwakwanansi who wished to have the power of storytelling. The Sky King, who owned all things, made a bargain with Kwaku. Bring me three evildoers, and in return, I will give you that power. So brave Kwaku set out to bring the Sky King what he asked for. Kwaku tricked Mboro, the stinging hornet, into a god. Kwaku tricked Onyini, the bullying python, and tied him to a stick. Kwaku tricked Oseba, the greedy leopard, who fell into a pit. The Sky King was pleased. He granted the spider his request. And with the power of storytelling came the power of illusion. Is the gold spider Kwaku? No, Kwaku made the gold spider to hold his powers, and in each generation passed those powers from one hero to the next. But the original spider had been lost for hundreds of years until Dr. Anokia found it in the Ashanti ruins. What happens if Asaba gets it? He could drain my powers back into the spider, but worse, 
he would have powers equal to mine. Lastly up today is Out of Africa. In this one, Virgil and Sharon are helping set up at the Dakota Museum for uh, an Afri- African artifacts exhibit. Uh, when the doctor from Static in Africa, uh, the, that episode shows up. Uh, Dr. Anoki is his name, that's right. He shows up and offers them a sneak peek at the exhibit for their hard work. And they look at some golden treasures that could possibly be old, as old as a thousand years. And suddenly the doctor gets a call and he s- tells the person on the other line he has it and the sooner he gets it, the better. It's at this point that the doctor sees someone sneaking around the museum on the security monitor. So he takes this spider-shaped gold artifact out of the display case and stealthily puts it in Sharon's jacket and kind of pushes them out of the museum very hastily. Now, Sharon gets really pissed since he's being so rude to her out of nowhere. But after they're gone, the doctor is assaulted by this python mutant guy who demands the object in question. So the doctor feigns ignorance and runs off. And... We then see Sharon and Virgil walking down the street, and Sharon's still bitching about being shoved out of the museum. But Virgil remembers that he left his backpack at the museum, so he runs back to get it. And you can tell he's like gone into static mode here, because you can see the electricity f- f- you know, flying from around the corner. And, and meanwhile, the Python mutant guy corners the doctor, but static intervenes, and Gear arrives too, having been alerted to the, mu- uh, to the mutant's presence by backpack. And the Python guy summons an ally, a gigantic bee guy, to assist him. So they fight all over the museum, and the Doctor ends up getting injured in the fight. So after Gear leaves, since he's under curfew for blowing up his garage, um, Anansi arrives and talks to Static briefly. And when Sharon gets home, she sees the artifact in her coat, and it disappears and reappears in her palm several times. And we go back to the museum, and Anansi, re- or, uh, yeah, Anansi reveals to Static the golden spider... Uh, that's missing from the displays is the source of his powers. And Sharon, in the meantime, gets reamed by Robert for neglecting her chores, specifically the dishes. And once he leaves, uh, she takes out the spider amulet again, and the dirty kitchen appears completely spotless. Uh, So she takes it outside, and she makes an old broken-down car look brand new again, and and then she makes some trash pile look like a neat row of garbage cans and whatnot. So she's kind of sort of figured out how this thing works it seems but she takes the gold spider to richie's house and he immediately finds out what it is on his computer and in the meantime anansi tells static the story of the gold spider there's this being named uh, kako anansi who uh was a being who desired the gift of storytelling so he made uh, made a deal with this god the god said if he could bring him three evildoers he would give him his power of storytelling and, and therefore illusion so he tricked three animals, a leopard, a bee, and a snake, into his traps, and the god kept his promise, and Anansi was granted these uh, storytelling and illusion powers. So Anansi created this gold spider trinket to pass his powers down to one hero after another, generation to generation. Now, Anansi, the hero, says that if the leopard guy gets the spider, uh, he could drain him of his powers and take them as his own. Static says that he couldn't possibly have it now since Anansi still has his powers. So they fly off to find it. And meanwhile, Sharon figures out how she got the spider in her coat when suddenly the leopard guy bursts through Richie's wall and kidnaps Sharon. And Richie gets into his costume and manages to get a tracer stuck to the guy's helicopter. And Anansi and Static disguise themselves as doctors to get into the hospital to talk to Dr. Anoki. And Anoki tells them that he hid the spider in his assistant's pocket. Static has an immediate feeling of dread after hearing this because he knows that Sharon is the assistant in question. 
And when Gear calls him, he tells him that Sharon was kidnapped by the Leopard guy. But he says that uh, he put a tracer on them, so they all meet on top of the building where they're hiding. And uh, right before this, though, the Leopard guy managed to get the gold spider away from Sharon. So Anansi is now in very real danger. They go inside, and uh, the leopard guy creates several illusory image, uh, images of himself to fight Anansi, while Gear and Static take on the Snake and Bee guys. Static and Gear manage to overcome their adversaries, but um, but Anansi is having problems since uh, the leopard guy is draining his powers. But Sharon uh, manages to push the cage that was previously holding her uh, down to the ground below to distract the leopard guy, cause him to drop the spider on the ground. This is long enough for Anansi to use the last remnants of his power to create illusions of the gold spider all over the floor to where the gold leopard guy can't tell which one is the real one. So Static leaps in, uh, and Static clings the guy to the ceiling, and uh, Anansi gets his gold spider back and his powers, and outside Anansi thanks Sharon for saving him and says that uh, he's forever in her debt. But she seems to be forgetting something, and Robert calls her to tell her that uh, she's going to be doing the dishes for the next month because the illusion of the clean dishes from earlier wore off. And that's it. So what are you thinking? This might be a good episode. It might be a bad episode. I don't know. I'm going to tell you why I don't know. There is a huge plot hole that because I can't unsee it, it affects my viewing, my enjoyment of this episode. Obviously, this episode takes place after Static in Africa, because he already knows these characters. Now, the professor tells Static that the items that he's brought to America to put on display, he excavated after Virgil and his family visited him in Africa. Later on, Anansi says that the, that the scarab, the spider, whatever it is, is the source of his powers. So if these things were excavated after Static in Africa, how did Anansi have his powers during and before that episode if the spider was just excavated? Because it's the amulet that gives these people their powers. It's not like they have the powers and the amulet's just floating around somewhere. No, you have to possess it. That's the whole point of the episode. Because I can't figure that out, totally ruins my enjoyment of this episode. That is a humongous plot hole. I like this one more than Static in Africa, and I can't really explain why, because it was essentially the same story, just on a smaller scale. Yeah, yeah. We don't have a dam being blown up here, but we have the same villain from earlier, just with two lackeys this time. And I, I understand who the lackeys are. They're based on uh, one of the Anansi fables from African folklore. Right. But, um, yeah, it's just it's really the same story if you get right down to the nitty-gritty. And another problem I have here, I understand Dr. Inoki's motivation to get the gold spider out of the museum, believe me, I do. But he had to know that he was endangering Sharon's life, and who knows how many other people's, by putting that in her pocket. Right. I mean, Sharon doesn't even know how to use it, and she has illusions sprouting up everywhere around her because of it. Hell, what if she accidentally drained Anansi of his powers? Right. And what if she created illusion uh, illusions that caused people to get injured? Just out in public somewhere, you know? Yeah, yeah. Big, big problem there for me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something else that was bothering me with this one. You just brought part of it up. She could have drained Anansi of his powers. Now, at the end, Anansi is drained of his powers. And all of a sudden, he starts acting like a feeble old man. Like, he can't even walk. <laughs> it's, it's like, dude, 
the powers don't teach you how to walk. You know, you can still walk over to the scarab, or I keep saying scarab, the spider, and pick it up. You know what it reminds me of is the Superman red light stuff from Superman the Animated Series. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's just red sunlight. Yeah, it it takes away your superpowers, but it doesn't mean you can't do your normal, everyday, human being things. Yeah, he just falls down, and I'm like, what happened to you? Did you get shot in the gut or something? He got kicked in the balls. Okay, fine, then there you go. Now I'll buy it. (laughs) (laughs) There really are a lot of problems with this one. And I have to ask, did Static kill the bug guy? It looked like he squashed him with like a giant hammer. Yeah, I was wondering that too. I didn't know if he trapped him inside something or if he just brought the hammer down and squished the motherfucker. Yeah, because the thing is, what he hit him with didn't look like a dumpster or a container. It looked like a giant mallet of some sort. And I'm like, okay, maybe you could get away with it because it's a bug thing, but it's still sentient. It talks. So I don't know what happened there. I think he's dead because I don't think we see that guy again. Oh, well, we do see uh, Leopard Guy being carted off, but the others, I don't think they were. Okay, well, then he's just some green puddle. That's what I'm going with. Yep. (laughs) One thing I did like, though, is uh, Gears reference to spider-man yeah yeah i thought you'd swing it on a web i get that a lot <laughs> i like the other joke in this one where uh what, what's the leopard guy's name where they're like wait if he's a leopard why does he have stripes <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> and that, that made me want to go back in the in the story that anansi was telling static you know because each one of the things that got captured were the villains that static was having to face did the leopard have spots, or did it have stripes in that scene? I didn't catch it. I think it did have spots. Okay, okay, at least I got it right there. But yeah, it is funny. And then even a Nazi's like, I've wanted to ask him about that, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it had its moments. It's just there are problems with this one. Yeah, and I gotta say, I have definitely lowered the grade. And something else I'm gonna give this one. When Anansi is showing Static the fable, that was really cool. The, the way they shot it, where instead of having them on a level plane, they curve it so it looks like they're standing on a globe and they're doing this MST3K-like sh- silhouette on them, and you see the story unfolding, and then at one point they turn the camera, but in Nancy, the way he's pointing, it's still very dreamlike, like they're on an astral plane or something like that. That was shot and staged so well. It's just, again, I can't get over that big, big plot hole. But there was a little bit of dialogue that makes up for it. Llama poo? Llama poo is said in the cartoon. (laughs) That makes up for a lot of this episode's faults, I gotta tell (laughs) you. Every time I think of llamas, I think of Dark Shadow. I don't even know how that fucking joke started over at the oratory. Oh, God, I know, it was like years and years and years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Now we're referencing a whole other website and an in-joke that we don't even get. (laughs) And we were at the website years ago. (laughs) What I really liked was that we got to see Static and Gear working separately towards a common goal. It wasn't like, oh, Gear flies off and he's forgotten about. No, Virgil's sister shows up and they start doing their own thing as they're facing the leopard guy and Static's doing his thing with the Nazi as they're going around and then they come together. It felt like a very natural joining of two stories. Uh, So what other notes do you have about this one? 
I don't really have any other notes. I, I think you've covered everything, really. <laughs> okay, should we get to our scores then? Sure. Flashback. I will give that a six. I am also giving that a six. Blast from the past. Gonna give it a four. I'm giving that one a five. Future Shock. I'll give that a seven. I did not write a score down for this one. Um, I'm gonna give this a six. Shabak. Or Shebak. <laughs> <laughs> I will also give that one a 7. I was really digging it. Okay, that one's going to get a 6 from me. And Out of Africa. I'll give that a 4. Again, I didn't write a score. We're laughing at it. I clearly had fun, but there's the big plot hole. I'm going to go straight down the middle with a 5. Static, it's gear. I got some bad news. What now? Your sister's been snatched by a tiger guy. Asaba. He's not a tiger, he's a leopard. Then why does he have stripes? Leopards don't have stripes. Focus gear. Right. I tag him with the tracer. You should be able to follow. We're on our way. I too have often wondered about the stripes. The Crow Wicked Prayer. X-Men The Last Stand. Spider-Man 3, Transformers, Twilight, Superman Returns, and most notably, all five entries in the Saw franchise. They all have two things in common. They're awful, and they've all been reviewed on Earth2.net the show. But on Saturday, the 24th of October, 2009, three men will examine something truly, truly dreadful. Tune in to episode 350 of Earth2.net The Show, our fourth anniversary celebration, to hear James Doe, Ian Wilson, and myself cover Batman and Robin. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss five more episodes of Static Shock. Those being Fallen Hero, Army of Darkness, No Man's an Island, Hoop Squad, and Now You See Him. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. Mm-hmm.